everyone. Hi, everybody. Jody Page here with Lighter Capital. Uh, excited to bring you another happy hour with the founder. Uh, I have Ari Palmer here with Tax Taker. Uh, nice enough to carve out some time uh, out of her day to, to, to talk with us and share some of her experiences. Uh, for those of you that haven't seen one of these before, um, really for me, one of the things I enjoy most about my job is just the volume of entrepreneurs that I get to connect with and hear their stories. And, and as we're in this period where we're, we're all kind of stuck in our homes or our offices, our lives have certainly been affected. That would be a great opportunity for us to just sit down and really have some informal discussions and talk about business and life and, and really just get the, get the interesting vantage points of all these wonderful CEOs and, and founders that I, that I have the luxury of getting to talk to all day, every day. And so uh, with that being the case, uh, Ari and I actually just met very recently. I haven't done one of these with a uh, entrepreneur that I haven't actually done business with yet. Uh, but I did want to give Ari a little bit of an opportunity to share with the, share with the rest of the world what she does uh, at Tax Taker. And so Ari, you mind sharing a little bit about what you guys do? Absolutely, Jody, and thanks for having me this Absolutely. evening. Admittedly, yeah. it is Wednesday, November fourth, and it is a very right. pleasant interaction. Too for happy hour today. So, right, this is certainly the best day for a happy hour. At least this week, it is for me personally. It is. I yes. agree. I mean, for me, it's it's one Wednesday, just another Wednesday. So, right. cheers. Well, cheers. <laughs> All right. So tell yeah. everybody a little. Yeah, so my name is Ari Paul. I'm the co-founder and CEO at Tax Taker. We are based in Austin, Texas. Can't see it as much downtown with the time change, but right. uh, uh, we help young businesses, startups, and SMBs find mm -hmm. government incentives that they otherwise would miss out on. So our, our right. core offering is the research and development tax credit. It's been around for almost 40 years, but it was recently made a permanent fixture of the federal tax code and right. really became a more meaningful and uh, a, a more of a util utility credit for, mm -hmm. for young businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, so my team comes from this niche world of tax consulting, tax credit consulting. Uh, and we said, you know, there has to be a way for us to make this easier for small businesses. And that's really why Tax Taker was born. We were, we were having to say no to so many young companies. And we were also seeing, you know, startups, we know they're grossly underserved and overlooked because when mm -hmm. you have specialists come around, it's, it can be really expensive. So we built tax takers so that we could come downstream to, to really help this, this large market of companies that are eligible for, for savings opportunities that just go amiss every year. That That's interesting. So would that, does that mean that, would you say that a lot of businesses are kind of leaving money on the table, so to speak, where this R and D tax credit is, is concerned? Absolutely. So practitioners nationwide uh, in accordance even with the IRS actually estimate that 90% of eligible businesses miss out on these incentives. Um, oh so goodness. that's costing tens of billions of dollars every year. Uh, historically, companies nationwide of all sizes have claimed somewhere between 10 and $13 billion annually. Uh, but that's expected to really, really jump up. The IRS expects to distribute 150 billion over the next six years alone. 
Um, and now, you know, where, where there's, you know, such low barriers to start mm-hmm. a company more than ever, you know, now people are turning their side hustles into real businesses. Right. Uh, we're going to see that spike even more and there's going to be even more companies claiming, you know, some of these things that are right. available. You know, it's funny to hear you describe it as side hustle. Cause I, um, I'm, I've been around for a while, <laughs> but um, really on, honestly, and like, it was just the last, I don't know, maybe three years. Like when I started lighter in 2016, it took, took, took me a little bit of time to wind some things down. But I, I think really the last couple of years was the first time I did not have any side hustle money on my tax returns. And it was kind of, it's kind of a pivotal moment for me. Cause I've always been kind of a, a bit of a dabbler, but, um, but you, but you, but you, but you're saying that there's all these people that are spinning up businesses that were, you know, side hustles. Um, but there's this pool of capital out there that's available that they're just not to your point, 90% of people are just not taking advantage of this, which I find intriguing. Um, and that's, and really for everybody out there, that's how Ari and I met. Um, we met via the Capital Factory, which is an amazing group down in uh, Austin, Texas, which is a market I'm just now getting to know. But the panel that Ari hosts, it was about, alter- I think it was alternative methods of capitalization or something along those lines. Um, and it was a great, it was a great, it was a great panel, but that's how, that's how you and I met was really, hey, how, how can businesses outside of what they rec- what most recognize is kind of like the place to go, which is venture capital. How, how can businesses find other money to grow? And, and from our vantage point, it's debt. From, from your vantage point, it's taking advantage of these R&D tax credits. I can't believe 90%. I keep going back to that 90%. Really? It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty staggering. Um, and I loved your point in that panel uh, where you had mentioned, you know, that we're not always seeking to replace VC. It can often right. be funding can be just another vehicle to complement VC. And I think in forming technology businesses in particular, it's really mm. easy for companies to kind of fall into this trap where they've been right. bootstrapping or turning that side hustle into a real business. Right. And they, they think that they have to go raise money because that's, you know, what they see other people's other people do or their friends doing, but sometimes just businesses aren't venture backable businesses and they can be great businesses. Um, I love conversation around, you know, there, there's other options for you. And, you know, I I think I have said this a couple different ways, but we don't typically get into business to be thinking about our accounting, let alone our tax, but, you know, we we do have to be thinking about cash flow. So I think businesses are getting smarter about, you know, leveraging different strategies. Um, So yeah, we're just trying to kind of raise education and awareness around. Right. So to to that point, and I I don't normally do this on these, but I, but this is, this is, I think this is an interesting area that doesn't necessarily get talked about a lot. Certainly not something that comes up a lot in my conversations with businesses. Um, What would you say are kind of maybe the two or three most egregious misses on 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 uh, entrepreneurs part as it relates to tax credit like where where the what are the most common mistakes not filing your tax returns (laughs) (laughs) as it relates to taking advantage of tax credits like i I should have been more specific well i've Um, I've seen some weird things that's for sure where we're like "Mm, just because you're not making money or you know you're losing money doesn't mean you shouldn't be you know doing your taxes or 
Right. Really amazing how many like personal expenses I see still. Like I get it. There's blurred lines sometimes, right. but uh, there's ways to really maximize right. your right. deductions and setting right. up your company the right way um, right. from the go. That it's just because there's there's these brilliant people and they're not focused on you know legal. Well, they're not accountants. I mean, they're like not. they're just work, not. That's not their. It's not their strong suit. It's not even their focus. In fact, they're oftentimes quite resentful that they have to pay attention to such things, right? Because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's just not their core competency. But I, to your point, it's, it sounds like, uh, I call it just that, you know, not adopting kind of grown up accounting practices with, with their business, I think is yeah. how I like to describe and, it. And having people like put eyes on your business too. I think people have mm -hmm. a problem asking for help. Uh, especially in, in business infancy, you know, there's this level of they want to keep certain things private because they don't want anyone to steal their idea where we know execution is like 90% of it, right? Um, so they also just don't know what questions to ask. Uh, I think pe most people would be surprised the willingness to help from a, a bookkeeper or an accountant when you're when you're starting your company, just to mm -hmm. set you on set you on the mm -hmm. right track. Yeah. Yeah, doesn't become uh, a problem later. My, um, so honestly, asking, asking for help, asking for questions and right. keeping things orderly and clean can like just help you for the long run. And it makes well, you investor. Too. Yeah, it does. And and I think, I, I think people underestimate how impactful having a clean set of books can inform your, your strategic decision making, you know, and really it's one of the things I see gets missed in, in, in um, you know, analyzing businesses with entrepreneurs who are, who are clearly more often than not very kind of tech focused or maybe, you know, very sales focused type entrepreneurs. And, and this is not necessarily where they like to place their attention, but, yeah. but it, it is huge. It's, it's hugely informing to your, to your strategic decision-making to understand really how the mechanics of your, of your business work and flows through your PL and your balance sheet. And um, so for those of you out there that haven't taken accounting 101 or 201 or anything on that front, it is it is worth getting yourself familiarized, particularly if you're going to be looking for, for outside capital. Um, so really appreciate that Definitely. insight. That's one thing that I think can make a big difference. It can be one less doubt for your investors, mm -hmm. right? To mm -hmm. look at. Because um, mm -hmm. they're going to, you know, pick everything apart about your business. So let right. this be an easy thing to have, have ready. Mm -hmm. I actually was on LinkedIn this morning and saw that there was a LinkedIn learning session on a PL. So now it's there. You can get right. it for a minute and well, a half right on LinkedIn. <laughs> people are, uh, people, because <laughs> people don't have, it. <laughs> they have much to do. Where else are you going to go? You might as well learn how to navigate a PL, right? Yeah. <laughs> Go to LinkedIn. They've got it all now. So, sorry, let me give it a couple seconds break. Yeah. That's one of the things that uh, Conley, you're listening to me talk right now. Conley, you, you met Conley, and he was like, I need you to pause in between questions. <laughs> because, like, in terms of creating sound bites, actually, funny enough, um, 
the, the, the capital factory thing, he's totally going to cut this out, by the way, the capital factory thing um, was interesting because you, you, that, that, what you mentioned that, that soundbite you mentioned, um, I don't know if it was you or somebody at capital factory clipped it and like, and they posted it and I reposted it and it was just me like, like saying, Hey, I'm not here to say, you know, I'm not here to knock VC. There's, there's a different way. Right. And, and then like, uh, Tanner, one of our inside peoples, he's like, dude, you're trending. And I was like, what? <laughs> Which, and of I course like- I know what like trending is, but I don't like, I don't know the mechanic, like the mechanics of trending. Like, I don't know how to optimize that kind of thing. It's just not something I've ever placed my focus on. And like, so I'm like, calmly, what's going on? And he's like, no, dude, you're trending. I, I'm like, I don't know what that means in terms of how's that going to show up in my pipeline? Tell me how that's going to show up in my business pipeline. <laughs> so, okay. So I, I, there's, there's something you kind of brought up that I think um, there's something you brought up that I think kind of ties into this whole um, all kind of alternative methods of funding and taking advantage of tax credits. And for us, obviously it's about providing non-dilutive debt capital. And one of the other people on the panel was, um, uh, spoke to, uh, you know, grant money and, and, you know, taking advantage of those things. Um, so clearly you're an advocate of, of finding alternative methods to capitalization, clearly. But you took VC. But I <laughs> if took I'm not mentioning it. <laughs> so you took VC. Not only did you take VC, but you're relatively early in your career. I mean, I think you, to your point, you graduated from LMU in, I think, 2013. Um, and I, did you have a passion for the tax credit business? Because I like I looked and it looks like you. This is what you've been doing pretty much since you got out of college. So was that intentional? It was actually not intentional, but it was almost my predetermined fate. I'll say. Uh, so my my stepfather has been in the specialty tax credit world for almost forty years. Okay. And by way of me delaying law school, working for a failed startup and having a tail behind my leg because I didn't want seven roommates, I started a family business and never looked back. I was immediately hooked uh, mostly because a lot like VC and, and, and what you do is I was immediately exposed to technologies and innovators and passionate mm-hmm. founders that I would have mm-hmm. never had the access to yeah. that I would have as a three year old. So yeah. uh, I was definitely, if you've worked with family or if anyone's worked with family, they know you, you start on the very bottom of the totem pole. So I really, right. at the time, kind of learned the business. Uh, but once I w- was able to shadow folks in the room and shadow our technicians mm-hmm. uh, and my dad, I was just, I was hooked. I just thought it was the coolest thing that. Mm-hmm we could be effectively talking about the tax code and saving people money, which people generally like, but right. I could be, I could be in San Francisco learning about the way a, a satellite company sends bread basket size satellites into the space in one hour. Uh, and then uh, a DevOps shop the next or someone that's looking right. to the next Apple watch. I was just thinking, right. I thought that was coolest thing. Yes. Um, and that's, yep. that's really why I've stayed in, stayed in the business. For this the exact reason I do it. I do. I love the variety 
Um, yes. It's it's it, it adds so much value and texture to my life. I, I, it's the only way I can really describe it. Um, it's what keeps me coming back. Um, but what a blessing that you found like that you found that passion space like fresh out of college. I truth be told, I I, I put in. 15 years of my career before, you know, and I was a finance major and I was, I was in another part of the financial industry, but uh, I was pushing 30 or pushing 40 when I found kind of the capital markets. And it was just this, this ecosystem that I just was not, I mean, I'd heard of private equity and venture capital, but I just was not, I just, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand all the moving pieces and how it all fits together. And, and it just, you know, it just became more and more intriguing as, as I, you know, learned more about it um, in the context of, you know, four and a half years, I spent at a startup called Pitchbook, which is a, a commonly known business at this point, but at the time, you know, nobody knew who it was. Right. And this is yeah. going back to like 2010, but I, I was just so, I was so enamored by this space and I just, I just, I was like, man, this is what really kind of makes innovation go, or at least it has a huge hand in, in kind of creating those next companies that, you know, turn into whatever. And, um, and I just could not get enough of it. Um, and then, and then once you, once you find something like that, it, you're not, you just can't be held back. Right. I mean, that's really what it came down to. Absolutely. And right. I, I definitely got to see more of that shift when I moved to Austin, because for the most part, I was, 75% interacting with accounting firms and then kind of 25% on the business side because, you know, we would sell and be a value add for accountants. Right. So I spent much more of my time in my twenties sitting in accounting offices, which isn't really exciting for many no. people. No, you know, so. I love my accountants and accounting partners, but like, let's be real. Those places aren't generally like the most innovative places no. in America, no. but they gave me just enough, you know, to right. to meet their great clients and and get a taste of it. And I wanted more. And then uh, when I moved to Austin and legislation changed, really, it created a new market for us to help these companies. So that's where I really got to kind of put the founder hat on myself right. and um, even more get to work kind of in the trenches with other founders, right. which has been really right. fun. So okay. How would I put this? Austin. Let me, yes, Austin. So you, SoCal baby, grew born, born and born and bred, right? Oh, total, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> so, stereotype. Right. I, my, my mom still watches some of my presentations and just is, just says, don't say like too much, don't come off right. too much, Holly girl, you're educated. <laughs> right. <laughs> So with that, and you spent, you know, I, I assume that when you were with the family business, kind of, earn, you know, earning your stripes, so to speak, um, that was in Southern California as well. So, so some point in there, some point in there, something happened that made you want to pick up and parachute into Austin and start tax taker. So what what was the progression was it i need to get away i'm going to austin or is like i'm going i'm starting tax taker and i want to do it out of austin like what 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 talk to me about the decision making process that's a big leap that's a big, it's leap. A big leap 
it's a big leap. So there was definitely a baby step there uh, in that my dad really wanted another location to be more centrally located for his client base. And we had practitioners, including myself, just kind of bouncing around all across the country uh, mm-hmm. because accounting firms would kind of take us any, everywhere. So mm-hmm. at the beginning of 2016, we said, okay, finally the R&D tax credit is permanent. That's great. Now CPAs and businesses can better plan around it because they don't have to wait around and know if the tax code's still in place, if they can take advantage of this. Um, we're somewhere that's, you know, easy to get to from either coast. Well, and what's business friendly and where are all the other innovative companies going and our friends and clients, Austin. So truly the the company kind of just had an opportunity to say, okay, if anyone wants to go to Austin, raise your hand. And I was like, sure. I was the only (laughs) one. And then I, and then I I was like, wait, am I I, like, what am I missing? Okay. No one wanted to wanted to leave the beach or San Francisco where we had more folks, which is pretty funny. But I said, coming from California and being on airplanes for the last six years or so, I can go live anywhere for a year. And Austin seems cool. I'd been there once for a couple of days on a work trip. And then I was living there full time. Uh, And so I immediately was, you know, another Californian that enters the Austin Mm -hmm. scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, kind of get that, mm, I don't know, are you going to stick around right. you know, trying to pick up business, hooked up with cap- Capital Factory, basically right. went in like, every startup I can help you. And they kind of looked at me like, what are you talking about? Uh, and that's when really kind of rubber hit the road. And when you have specialized practitioners, really mm-hmm. in any space, right, we're used to these billable hours and those stack right. up back. So right. the equation just didn't work for a small business. So I said, right. there has to be a way to put technology to this business and someone else is going to do it, you know, or someone's going to do it. So it may as well be mm-hmm. me. And it's just one of those, truly one of those things that was just keeping me up at night. And so I talked to my dad and he agreed. It was like, if someone's going to build it, it should be you. Uh, and then the rest is becoming history or her story. Wow. So when did that when did that happen? In 2018. Yeah. So we started oh, kind of beta testing. Yeah. So we started kind of beta testing lightly with some of our existing clients, kind of, and then accountants were actually asking us to develop it for their firms, kind of a right. private label, white label experience. So we did a rollout there. And what we found was it worked really, really well for some of these kind of cloud accountant types that work with a lot of startup companies. And it didn't work as well for the really large CPA firms just because it's just, it's hard to implement partner by partner. Uh, So at the beginning of 2020, uh, we basically said, you know, if we wait around just for the CPA business, we're gonna die. Uh, So we started going back to direct and then the pandemic hit and never, <laughs> ever, yeah, everyone's like, uh-oh, right? Right. But, but truly, I mean, never has there been a greater time for businesses looking for government money, right? So right. it was really a catalyst and we had put in work and developed so many relationships over the last years, really telling people what was coming, that that really was the kind of catalyst 
to our growth in 2020. So right. didn't expect that, but nevertheless, we're here and we're happy we can help businesses in some small way. Cheers to that. Sure. <laughs> I'll cheers to anything, but just definitely cheers to that. And, you know, repping, and, you know, I'm totally Austin now. My fiance went to UT, I'm repping Yeti. <laughs> oh my goodness, you are fully indoctrinated. I'm, I'm totally indoctrinated. <laughs> That's funny. Okay. So you mentioned something and, you know, the travel and, and just kind of the bouncing around. Sounds like, sounds like you kind of have some DNA, sales DNA in there. Is that, am I, am I mistaken in that? Was that a big yeah. part of what you were doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much through and through a sales person. I am. So that's, so that's interesting. That's yep. interesting because most, I, I think I, my, what I've found is particularly in, in the tech space, like most, most of the founders and entrepreneurs are not of a sales DNA. They're more of a, you know, of a tech, you know, DNA, not all of them, but most of them. Yeah. And as such, you know, they, they're, they're trying to get disengaged from the sales process as, as quickly as they possibly can, which I often think is a mistake um, because they'll go out and they think they got to go hire this, you know, heavy hitter, you know, you know, sales type that inevitably costs a lot of money and asks for the world. And you can't really duplicate that, right? <laughs> you really can't. And I, so I think it's one of the biggest mistakes or one of the more common mistakes I see is that they, you know, CEOs, founders will undervalue, you know, staying engaged with the sales process, even as things are scaling, because I think it's so informative about the market and, and kind of how, if, particularly if you're creating something that doesn't exist, how are we going to sell this? And, you know, it flows through to strategic decision-making and all those things. And so I think it's a, it's really, it happens a lot in, in, from my vantage point. So here's the question. <laughs> As a sales-driven CEO, like how how do you how do you navigate the, the competing priorities of what a salesperson DN is, was just fill the top of the funnel, prime the funnel, get stuff to pop out of the bottom in terms of close deals. That is like that, that, you know, that's your entire existence, right? Yeah. But you have it. Yeah. You have this. You have this whole business to run, at the same time. And you yeah, sound like I mean, you're pretty hands on with the the sales piece still to this day, unless I'm 100%. mistaken. Yeah, and and so that how was are you navigate? How are you navigating that? That it was painful for me at the especially at the beginning because I feel like I have a sense of responsibility for, uh, I, I do have a sense of responsibility rather for what I'm putting in my client's hands and mm -hmm. what the ultimate delivery is. Like, we're not talking about, you know, if, if a product doesn't work, I can just switch to someone else. Like we're actually delivering real money to companies. We can't get that wrong. We can't get, right. we can't put wrong numbers on a tax return. Mm -hmm. So was difficult for me as a salesperson to get to an MVP that I was okay with because I was like, well, it has to be perfect. Like, I can't be right. an MVP. So that was, right. that was tough for me because I couldn't sell. 
you know, as much as I wanted to based upon mm -hmm. what I had um, as a non-technical founder. Um, but that wasn't necessarily, looking back, wasn't necessarily a bad thing because it did keep me very disciplined. It allowed for a lot of customer discovery. We've learned a lot about our buyer profile on kind yeah. of both sides of, yeah. of, of the aisle with the end user as well as the practitioner that they work with and kind of within their organization of what their needs are. But um, yeah, it's, it's tough. Uh, and now um, as a salesperson, we, you know, it's really easy to also want to give your customer the world, but you have, you know, development timelines and stretches. Right. You can't just as a salesperson, I can't just say, make this do that so we can sell it. Right. <laughs> <don't want> to. <laughs> right. Right. Scrum, just make it happen. <laughs> Chop chop. This time. <laughs> so, yeah, I By the way, uh, deaf people don't like to be talked to that way. Just no. <laughs> they, they do not. They I, do not. I, I don't know that from personal experience, but I just, I just know. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, it's it's a challenge because at the end of the day, revenue matters, right. traction matters. Yeah. Um, yeah. Making that decision that we were going to raise capital, mm -hmm. I knew that that was going to be, you know, one of our kind of stronger metrics is that we, you know, were actually generating revenue and we have customers and all that. So I think that was really helpful. I think that uh, I see a lot of founders that I know, especially that are kind of in seed kind of stage where they're spending a lot of time fundraising. And mm. I, I always say like, you know, yeah. they're asking for traction, you know, just go say it, go sell, you know, it's yeah. easier said yeah. than done, but I think some people get afraid of, of selling and you just can't. Yeah, it's it's you a can't fear. Sell it's it. gonna be hard to ask anyone else to sell it, right? It, right no one's gonna right. sell your product like you. And if you can't sell it, like that could be a problem, real problem. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's and I think that's the piece that gets missed. Is I think, you know, it, I I think that people think there's like some magic bullet about selling right mm -hmm. like oh like like there's this single thing that if you get really good at it that's 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 what's oh. gonna make it work and it's so it's so not that and um <laughs> i'm old enough to have entered the say the 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 professional ranks at what i call the tail end of the old economy i wore a certain tie to work every day i did not have a mobile phone i think i had a pager right i did not have if i didn't say this already i didn't have an email Right. Oh. They, they, right. There was, a, you know, this was, I, I consider myself getting my first real job in 1997. Right. But you still got a hold of people. You were still selling, selling, oh. selling analog copiers. Right. Just, just to date myself a little bit. That was my first kind of like two and a half years of my professional life. Don't regret a day of that because it totally set the foundation for Talk about building thick skin, like selling copiers at a point where they were absolute commodity. There was like four manufacturers and like 50 dealers of that, of those manufacturers in, in town in every city, right? So you, you had to learn how to sell and kick in doors and create opportunity and, you know, and that sort of thing. So it just developed this really, really thick skin. But what you, what I learned, you know, what I've learned over the course of my career, and I still consider myself a salesperson. I mean, I, I just, you know, I mean, I, I sell money, right? I mean, truth be told, I sell money. And, um, but I still very much, 
I wear it as a badge. Like I, I, and I think some people have this negative connotation of sales on top of thinking that there's like some magic bullet that makes you a, a good salesperson. And I'm a, you know, I think one, you gotta be pro in terms of understanding to your point, you know, what you're selling. Like, you, like if you, you have to understand how to sell what you're selling. There's no like generalized sales knowledge that's gonna teach you how to sell a specific offering, particularly if it's something that does not exist, right? So there's that. But I think the other component that gets missed um, is that I think if you're going to build a sustainable career in sales or you're, you know, just going to have success in sales, you have to be a good person. Like you just like you have to be a good salesperson. You need to be a good person. And are there crummy people that are good at sales? Yes, but they usually have a wake of people behind them that they burned. Right. <laughs> and that's just okay. right. Right. Yeah. So there's yeah there's there's I, I was in a sorority so again no shade here but you know there's this bad frat culture to sales and you know it can really build up top line revenue but that's something I'm really kind of cognizant especially with this business too because we're talking about people's finances it's much more yeah. sensitive right yeah. like ethics be good and yeah. that's something I look or um and anyone that i'm working with too so so yeah there's that line where i don't my dad always told me you know there's uh, a short-term gain can be a long-term pain you know do the right thing and you know because it's a small world right mm -hmm. and the, yeah you burn those bridges they'll come back you'd be shocked I mean, particularly, I, you know, I work in the capital markets and when you kind of whittle it down to people that really kind of play in your sandbox or near it, you know, you're going to bump into them all the yeah. time. Yeah. I'd much rather lose a deal because it just didn't work out than me trying to make something stick that shouldn't have been. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's so much abundance. I think people forget about that in sales because they're just trying to hit a number, trying to hit a quota, but you there's no right recipe for any business. You know, we're pulling on different levers all the time, especially in the early years, right? I mean, I can tell you about 20 different lead sources of revenue that we have right now for tax taker, right? Like right. It, it just varies week by week, month by month, time of year, you know, where, where we're interacting with people, how we're getting that business. Um, so yeah, you just have to, it's kind of fun though. You can be creative and, you know, but it's sales are important. So yeah, I, I like the, the, that part of the business. It's fun. So you mentioned something that I think a lot of entrepreneurs wrestle with setting quotas. Mm -hmm. right? Now having worked, having scaled my own businesses and having worked inside startups for the vast majority of my career. I, <laughs> it's my opinion that as you're scaling, I, you know, everybody wants to have a target, but those targets are largely something that somebody just pulled out of their butt, right? It, it, it really was. And, <laughs> and, it's like and a, so it's a really financial forecast. You're kind of right, like, well, right, right, yeah. right, right. And, you know, and then they said, you know, those, those people set expectations and others an expectation there's certain numbers going to get in and if it doesn't get hit yeah you know if you're of character then you you take the onus you set the number right a lot of times yeah people try to shift it over to personnel issue 
whole other conversation, right? But to that <laughs> to that point, like how do you think about quotas? Because you're like, this is a business that you just, you know, really just started scaling a couple of years ago. You don't have a lot of historical data to look at. You've been doing sales most of the time yourself. Like, have you started onboarding salespeople at this point, like to, to try to create some leverage for yourself? And how are you thinking about quotas where they're concerned? Yeah. So, I mean, I've been very capital efficient thus far and even raising, you know, during these times, I don't want to, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you are, you know, I don't want to just go hire the most expensive salesperson because it's a very unique business mm -hmm. and I've had to test it out myself and, and coming from the space, I even see the way things kind of change. Um, but um, I was listening actually to, I don't want to butcher her name, Matilda, um, until they call in, I believe from, and she's a Y Combinator company, but she does a great segment on this about kind of between product market fit and early sales. And, uh, I kind of modeled, uh, my kind of original quota for, for myself, as well as this one other person that I brought on, right. um, from capital factory in that, you know, what would be like a good win would be, you know, just to start out would be, you know, somewhere around like three X what we're paying them. Right. 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 And if it's 10, you know, then we need to adjust quota, but if it's right. one or two, you know, we're not hitting the mark and we can adjust. Right. So right. that's really how I, I was kind of a hard and fast rule. I also right. like to uh, manage expectations and under promise and over deliver. And that's just the kind of person I am. Right. Uh, but like, yeah, and setting kind of revenue numbers, just kind of that backwards math. Okay. If we want to get here next quarter, you know, how are we going to get there? How many deals do we need and what's that going to take and what's that going to look like? So we've just gone that way. Um, and then kind of with a little bit of a softer quota, knowing where we are in stage, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's kind of interesting. Basic. Interesting. Well, I, I think it's, like I said, I, I think people spend a lot of time trying to come up with a number that may or may not be it, yeah, it's, a proven number and, and they spend so much time and then, and then there's so much time on, on, in the postmortem, if it didn't, if the number didn't get hit, well, whose fault is it? Right. When it really, you know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> the fault is, the fault is on the collective, right? It's not on, right. Important to have that scenario kind of ready in your budget too. Like put in your worst case scenario, because yeah. I know, like I know the number that I personally can bring in. Right. So right. you know, like because I've been in this space for right. you know years. So like mm -hmm. I know this year, but I don't know that that another person is going to do the same as me, right? <laughs> Yeah. So I think it's it's just important. Like I I've already I'm checking my expectations, but you've got to go test it and you've got to see what works. Yeah. And, and hopefully they do something even better than what you're doing, right? Right, right. And you know, it's it, you said I, I think to some degree, you know, scaling sales is kind of the bane of every tech entrepreneur's existence, unless they've done it before and they you know they've kind of gone through the learning curve. But I I, re, I really yeah. think it is. Uh, honestly, I think it's where the most probably where maybe some of the most waste happens with regard to the balance sheet. Um, and I've seen this play out in, in, in multiple environments that I've you know worked in where you know like it's not even intentional, but it just 
you know, this like kind of, hey, we set this expectation. We're not hitting this expectation. We're, we're, you know, churning through salespeople because we, you know, we have ourselves convinced that it's a personnel issue, right? So now, like, you know, you like have somebody for six, 12 months and then they roll out and now you got to train somebody else. And it's just, and clients pick up on that too. Exactly, exactly. It's so obvious. I can sniff it out so well with me being a buyer of of software and subscriptions. I mean, I literally had someone I was like the audacity of this one. He was like, Hey, uh, are you going to sign up? I've already hit my quota for the month. So if you don't, it's no big deal. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, this is an email that no one on this team right. ever send. And right. I was like, glad to get it to show what a terrible example that would be mm. for my own well, sales communication to, to yeah. threaten me that they don't need my business was just like unbelievable. But that's, but that right? is, but that's the, the thing. The, the thing. It, 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 and this is the crazy thing is that, and this is what I've watched play out over the course of the last 20 years, in particular the last 10, right? Because, you know, the advent of sales tools, like auto, sales automation broadly, but sales tools, I guess Salesforce being the most obvious one, but like, I remember, you know, what, like when ACT first came out and, you know, and then there was like this company called Onyx that just had like this behemoth on-prem, you know, thing. And I think they, but, you know, and then Salesforce. You're old enough to know Goldmine. Did you know Goldmine? Gold yeah, I did. I touched Goldmine. I did Goldmine yep. too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but what I've seen happen is the tech has improved and, and kind of, you know, and then I think at the same time you see kind of the scaling of like tech entrepreneurs, right? Um, is that they tend to take a very formulaic kind of, you know, attitude about sales, right? Like, well, okay, if you make X amount of phone calls, you know, X amount of deals, like, you know, this will be the pull through, blah, 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 blah. And they just think it's a formula and there's like, there's no actual learns, like learn to develop skill Mm -hmm. about selling. And that, and that was one of the things that I think is a big advantage for me when I entered the workforce is that like, we were like forced into like, you know, these like weeks long sales trainings. You know, now a lot of the methodologies have evolved over the time, but the psychology of it all and, and really how do you earn your, how do you earn your way to a sale? Because I'm going to tell you right now, well, I don't ask, you know, like I don't ask to close deals very often, like they close themselves, but it's because I'm a, you know, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, you know, but if you do your job That's right, awesome. you know, yeah, the deal, the deal's going to close and we all lose deals and win deals and that sort of thing. But, you know, the deal's going to close if you've done your job right. If you've, you know, if you really understand what's going on with whatever environment you're trying to sell to and, you, and you've done the appropriate relationship building and that you've built that trust factor and that you've been transparent and that, you know, and that you've been willing to have the hard conversations and tell them, you know, tell them the things that they don't want to hear. You know, mm-hmm. or my favorite thing, being comfortable with that uncomfortable silence. Love that. Love oh, that. Yes. Got to be comfortable with the uncomfortable silence, right? Mm-hmm. Which is at some point, I'm going to put something on the table and I'm not going to say, anything. I'm just, this is what it is. And yeah. just letting it sit there for a minute. Cause you, you're like, as soon as you start talking, they stop processing and now they all of a sudden they think that you're trying to 
convince them of something and that's and that's not that's not that's not what selling is um so i'm getting a little soapboxy but this is it's a frustration of mine because i think the art of it is is underappreciated um and i think a lot of entrepreneurs might if they had really embraced that this is a skill just like just like you know people have to develop coding skill and they have to develop you know you know, skills in, in the act and, and how do you, you know, allocate digital marketing spend or, you know, like all the things that people need to like develop skills at and get reps at in order to get better sales is no different than that. And, and it's unfortunate because I think a lot of sales, good people that could be great salespeople get burned through in a particular environment because they just treat it like a formula. So I don't know how I got on that topic, no, but. No, I, I think that's so important. And I think it, like proper sales training is missing mm -hmm. even if that exists because some of these are brand new businesses right so they have to yeah. be tested yeah. um and they need to be tested by their founders uh yeah. through, and through all the more reason that founders should stay engaged with sales way longer than they yeah. probably want and, to right? and i see sales throughout the entire especially for a customer's first year with us sales continues through their entire journey Right. I expect our salespeople to manage expectations about the project. You know, this isn't super transactional in right. that you know, we are developing a relationship with them. And then right. our technical customer success and our technical personnel, they're continuing to sell our clients because they're the experts. You know, they're right. trust makers. They're, the, yeah. the customer needs to feel comfortable along the way right. that they're in the right. hands. And at the end of the day, that's it's a different form of sales, but it's still sales. Like I've been but in that's, that's creating a sales organization. And yeah. I think that's what, sorry, myself another little taste. Oh, you're done. Uh, <laughs> that's a, uh, usually I'm drinking makers, but somebody left a bottle of proper number 12 at the, uh, at the house. So I'm doing them a favor and finishing that off for them. Uh, <laughs> um, so we talked we talked about quota a little bit. Um, I, we are we we give me a second. Yeah. So sorry, Schofield. Right. So we touched on a little bit earlier that you had even though you're a promoter of alternative methods of capitalization that you in fact did go out and, and, and raise VC, which, um, you know, look, sounds like you had some degree of six. I don't know about the size of the round. You're not sure the details of the round. Um, what I am curious about is, you know, your experience raising VC as a female in tech and more important, you know, maybe or in, in to boot a, a young, female in, in, in tech. And I, to my understanding, that's not a friendly playground, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. So I, I am, I am curious about, you know, I mean, I, I don't imagine that I'll ever have the ability to raise money as a female entrepreneur. That's probably out of the cards for me at this point in life, but I, uh, so I gotta ask, like, <laughs> what was that experience like for you? Cause I think there's a lot of people that are you know, kind of detoured from taking that leap for, for fear of having to go do that. What, yeah, what was your experience I, like? I appreciate the question. And yeah, we were kind of set up for a double whammy, right? Like we're in finance, I, I, but I'm also used to it, right? Kind of in mm -hmm. financial services, mm -hmm. technology, mm -hmm. just less than in the room. I can't 
I can't count the times where there was more women in the room right. than men because it was just like right. it's like so abysmal. Uh, but when we made the decision and really realized that we needed capital to really give us enough runway to like really prove this technology out mm-hmm. and go hit it with these startups and small businesses. I mean, it was trial and error, but at the end of the day, for me, I think it was helpful that I'm a salesperson because fundraising is sales. You know, you're- oh, It always flows back to the S word, doesn't it? It sales through and through. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they pick apart your business the same way a customer would, right? Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and also uh, wearing the sales hat, you know, I had to make that shift towards, you know, there's a lot of money out there. There's more money than good deals. And the, and these investors are looking also for a good deal and we're a great company and we're a great company. So right. knowing where we, we, where we were and kind of where we were with traction, I went in, you know, obviously I, I'm not going to lie. It wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't scary. And I totally right. had a moment where I was not confident, but I had to kind of just remind myself to confirm the things I knew to be true that were true. Right? right. And I knew it was, it was a numbers game. Um, I never felt as though I was treated not as equal in the sense of being like a woman. Um, That's good. I think in, in a lot of ways, play it how you are. If, if they're looking to fill their diversity category, or maybe mm-hmm. if there's a little bit of tokenism, you know, sure. I just, take advantage. I'm going to take advantage of that. Yeah. Um, but I really was looking for partners. I was looking mm-hmm. for operators being a young founder, a first time founder. Yeah. I yeah. knew that I was looking for also more than money. And I wanted more hands and eyes on the business. So it's kind of like dating. You're just kind of, you're looking to see, you know, who's, you know, going to fit with you and Mm -hmm. jive with you Mm -hmm. and that you're going to want to spend some time with for the foreseeable future. Um, So, so yeah, I, I, I'm really happy we were able to raise around, you know, in a reasonable amount of time and during a pandemic, nonetheless, and so I, I think it's built kind of a beautiful network for me with other female founders that I've been able to subsequently help support and kind of provide advice to, but um, I'm thankful for our, our investors, but yeah, it's just, it, you got to go in and, and look at it like you, you do the other parts of your business. Like, what are you looking for? What does success mean for you? And it's not mm-hmm. just, you know. It's not always just money. It's pain in the butt doing it all too. You know, Mm -hmm. is it worth your while or should you go out and just go get more business? Right. Right. And often, I think often, unfortunately, I think often the solution is going and getting, getting more business and people pour all that energy into getting one single big check in it. And, um, yeah, I think people think themselves back six, 12 months, you know, a long time, a long Mm -hmm. time. Um, I see a lot of companies that are, that raise, and I don't think they're venture back. 
old businesses mm-hmm. and coming from a services business. It's funny that it, it's like sexy now to get like a lot of money and like dilute mm-hmm. yourself and like put all this pressure on yourself to perform. And it's like, you can run a, ser- a more services side business or a bootstrap right. business, make a million dollars a year in revenue. And your take home is a lot of that. Like that's a great business. Right, but right. I'd rather I'd rather own a hundred percent of a ten million dollar business than ten percent of a hundred million dollar business every day. You know, yeah. um, me personally, just in terms of what I want to do, you know, deal with, because I think people don't think beyond the money, right? They yeah. like, I, I mean, not everybody. That's kind of a broad statement, but they don't necessarily. I'm, you know, what I tell people is, listen, you're introducing competing agendas into your business when you take on the like, you don't know where they are on their phone. Hopefully, you know where they're at in their fun cycle, but most people don't think to ask about that, you know, Mm -hmm. because if you're six, seven, eight years into a fun cycle, guess what? I'm going to start feeling some pressure from you to start making some aggressive moves within a year or two because you, you got, you have to return capital to your limited partners, you know, and I think those are the things that sometimes an entrepreneur doesn't think to really inspect when they're looking for partners you know, to make sure not are we just aligned in terms of what I'm doing as a business, but are we aligned in terms of like what you have going on on your side for your capital relationships and kind of what my timelines are. I don't, I don't see a lot of people having those conversations. I'm not in those conversations all the time. I just don't see it happening a lot. Yeah. I I think founders forget that too. And I mean, I was learning the whole way while I was going, right? Like I was learning about I have had clients that have raised from VCs. I've known VCs for a good amount of time in a business kind of referral relationship, but mm-hmm. never raised capital before. So I was also learning how those things work. Like how long could a fund be with me? Like those are right. important conversations to have. You know, yeah. can you come in on another round? What are the expectations of raising more money? Are they a yeah. go through a lot of rounds? Or do they think we're going to be, you know, okay with just one? Right. Like those are all questions that you want to have. And I think if folks start to look at at it more like this is a business partnership, not just like, oh, I need your check. I think that's another problem too. People wait to raise until they really need it. And that's like the worst place to be in. Right. 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 I always tell people, I was like, "Don't don't wait until you need it. I was like, any good investor is going to smell it out and they're going to give yes. it to you. Yes. Yeah. They're, like, they're going to give it to you and they're going to give it to you. It's going to happen yeah. two ways. It's like that adage, right? You ask for money, you get advice. You ask for advice, you might get some money. Right. But yeah, they smell it. Sure. Yeah. For sure. Do you have a, uh, I like to call me Yoda. Do you have a Yoda? You know what I mean when I say that? Like Star a Wars sensei? reference. Like, yeah, just like, just, just like, who's your, like, I have a Yoda. Like if I, like I, that I actually have a couple. Um, yeah. And that I go to anytime something's going on and it, it might just be like, man, this shit is crazy. I, I don't know how to deal with this. I just need a sounding board. Right. And, and other times it's like, I think this is an opportunity. I need your opinion on it. Right. Or that kind of thing. But do you have a Yoda? Yeah. So when you said, do you have a Yoda? I immediately thought of my dog because I literally dressed him up as Yoda. From- <laughs> <laughs> and I probably have Not to say that it doesn't add value or give he, insight, but he totally adds value. And who knows? I might've had it. <laughs> <laughs> not, um, not exactly what I meant, but okay. <laughs> I swear I'm 
we got a couple sips of wine. Right. Um, well, it yeah. sounds like your father-in-law has been a, a great resource for you. Or no, yeah. I'm sorry, not father. Your, your stepfather has been a great resource for you. He right. has. He's really been the biggest like business resource for me. But he also went along with this journey too. He's a shareholder in the company and he, you know, he wants to see this be successful, but he's seen so many situations and scenarios right. and dealt with so many different personalities over the last 40 something years. So right. he's a really neutral in that way. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, he's definitely been kind of my North star for business for sure. So, so, um, so, so, so pop is your, is pop is your Yoda. He's my Yoda. Yeah, That's he's my Yoda. I can just see him now being like, yes. I don't know if my daughter see me as Yoda. I am, yes. I, no. I, I, it comes later. It comes I might later. Be, I might be more like Darth Vader right now if I got to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, mother, we sound like that. Yeah, sometimes. Right. Talk shop and she's like, like right. please just enjoy this meal. I know. I'm trying to. Business. Um, but yeah, I think also in this, it's really amazing the people you meet along the way that have such a genuine willingness to help. Yes, yes, uh, yes. And, and kind of to my point earlier of like not being afraid to ask questions, like people want to help people. We have an innate sense. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Nice. At least, at least, at least the kind of people that you really want to be connected to. I think they, they always, they always look for ways to kind of, you know, play it forward, if you will. Um, yeah. And I mean, even going through Capital Factory and having access to some of the mentors there, getting tidbits from so many different types of people yeah. is, is so valuable. It's, yeah. it's hard to put kind of a, a price on that. Uh, right. But there's so been so many successful people that I think are just, they're out there and they're they're excited about entrepreneurship. And mm -hmm. excited mm -hmm. to yeah, about they're, they're, they're almost, they're, they're, they're almost like, you know, I mean, they want to make money, but they're almost like mission driven, mission driven investors. And, you know, that may not be what they're publicizing, but like that's what they really get down on is that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm helping lift this other person up or these other group of people up. And um, yeah. it sounds like you do that a little bit on your own now. It's, I think I saw that you're doing some mentorship stuff and like that sort of thing. So you're taking that on yourself now. I do. Yes. So uh, really, I mean, our mission has been to help startups and small businesses right. nationwide, but it has through this journey of my own kind of become my own personal mission uh, mm -hmm. to help early age founders in any way that I can, um, especially women founders, uh, because yeah. they do have a long way to go there. Yeah. Uh, and the statistics speak for themselves, you know, women led right. or co-led businesses, they typically end up diverse uh, led businesses. They typically perform or outperform, you know, all mm -hmm. male or all, right. you know, white blood businesses yeah uh, so there's there's room for that to to grow in bc and alternative um, i agree so, i agree and now, <laughs> and, and, and now yeah to your point i i don't even sometimes think that i'm at i'm different from other companies because mm -hmm. i'm an early stage venture but i am different i'm a salesperson i'm not a mm -hmm. i'm not a computer science person but you know right cool founder right. So I do have a unique, you know, ability to look at a business maybe that someone else might not be able yeah. to see. Yeah. 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 
my, my vantage point on a business is always from a sales sales slant. It really is, you know, like how's yeah. this going to scale? What's this? What's the market for this? Like, you know, how do you even get the players to identify themselves in terms of who you would, you know, want to sell to? Like, those are the things that I, you know, think about anytime yeah. I'm engaging in some kind of endeavor like that, right? Yeah, great minds think alike. Uh, and then really to your kind of, kind of like as a last point to your question about our own personal raise, I think, uh, especially with like seed round funding, um, pre-seed, seed, like kind of as you're going up to A, right. you know, investors don't expect for you to have it all figured out. Otherwise you wouldn't be, you know, raising money and yeah. asking for no. help, right? And so I think they, I think there's not a, a heavy enough importance placed on domain experience or like time spent on the business. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I've been in this, I, I didn't just like whip up, oh, I just heard about the R&D credit. I started an R&D credit business. Mm -hmm. I've been mm -hmm. in space talking to talk, walking the walk. You had, a, you had a story to tell. Like you, you, yeah, yeah. You built, you built your chops from the ground up and, um, yeah, that has, that, it, that has value. That has a tremendous amount of value. I believe it does. Yeah, I mean, at least that's what our investors place importance on, right? And so, <laughs> right. Um, but I think I've seen businesses, you know, because they want to have a business, they start something that they find interesting, but they might not have really spent that much time in the business and in that yeah. market. Um, yeah. Not to say you have to go in a decade somewhere, but you know. It's no, there's something to be said for there's something to be said for kind of being in the weeds for a handful of years on something before you, you know, I mean, even what I do, you know, I mean, I've been working in the cabinet in the financial industry for 15 years when I showed up at Lighter and been from working in the capital markets for five, the five kind of leading into that. But it was a it was a massive learning curve going through how to, you know, learn how to, you know, kind of work with CEOs in this in this way right and um you know and you gotta get you gotta get some reps under your belt right there's there there's a I mean they talk about the phases of mastery you, you know which is kind of like hey there's learned knowledge there's modeling knowledge there's activity knowledge and then there's teaching knowledge right with with kind of if you get all four you kind of reach that that mastery phase and then and I and I think you have to have all those if you're going to build a sales organization, like you have to, and if you're not embracing that notion, you're probably going to burn through some people, in my opinion. Yeah, 100%. I got a compliment uh, a week or two ago, because someone reached out from the accounting space, because someone within their organization said, hey, our clients keep talking and asking if we're doing this R&D tax credit thing, like, I think we should be talking about this. Does anyone know anyone? And so he was like, I know an already a tax credit girl. I know a tax credit girl. Her name's Ari. I was like, I've done my job. I, I'm, I will gladly be that tax credit girl. Right, right. <laughs> an impression on someone as that right. tax girl. I've done my job. <laughs> That's why I don't get too concerned with like people being like overly knowledgeable about what you know, like the nuances of like, whether something's a doable deal for me or not. Right. It's like, no, I don't, I don't need you to figure out. I just need you to, Hey, you need some money. You may not be ready to dilute. You should talk to Jody. Right. And then, and that's, you know, and it's mostly based on, I know he's going to be straight up with you. I know he's, you know, I know he's going to, you know, point you in a direction if he can. And if there's something to be done, I know he's going to treat you fairly. And that's, that's really, as long as people understand that about me, 
I'm good. I don't expect to get every deal done, right? Yeah, it's not always a matter of if it's a, if it's like when's the right timing, and you know, there's it's usually the second or third pass where you get the deal done too. It's usually not the first one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Patience. Got to be patient. That's the other piece. Got to be patient. Patient. Well, listen, Ari, um, I've kept you way longer than I intended, but it's only because it was an awesome discussion. So I, I once again, fun. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I wish you the best of luck. I'm hopeful that at one point we can do some actual business together, yes. um, but, but, that that's, but that's TBD. We'll, uh, we won't share it with the world. We'll just get it. Austin's pretty open open for biz open for i know i i actually i i'm i've <laughs> admittedly i've been to austin once and i parachuted in for like 24 hours for uh for um for south by southwest and it was like i mean it's south by southwest it's a complete shit show right it's it's <laughs> it's and i tapped out like after 24 hours I, i'm out i gotta go i like this is too much for me but it was fine. But that's my only experience with Austin today in terms of being boots on the ground. I, I anticipate it's not like that all the time. Yes, it's not always like Vegas. Although the patios do seem that way right now with just uh, kind of the, with the rules. I, I had a blast. I had an absolute blast, but I re I recognized very quickly that I needed to get out of town very quick. <laughs> so. Fairness, most of us, we don't have that. So there you go. Uh, I'm uh but but I I promise I'm uh I promise I'm coming back and, and look forward to seeing you when I do. That'd be awesome, Jody. I'd love it. All right. Thanks all right. so much. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.